You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. We're currently in a series called The Church, who God has called and created us to be. For more sermons and content, go to sojournmontrose.com. What we're doing in this series is we're trying to sort of get some handles on what it really means to, to be a church, because more often than not, the church today is sort of defined by or known for uh, either either scandal or just sort of what she does, you know, like uh, events, different things that it kind of provides, but not really by who she is, what her identity is as the church, and then what she does in response to the scriptures. And so, so what we want to do is we want to go to the Bible and really sort of delve dig deeply to find out what is it exactly that the, that the Lord would have for his church. What are the things that we must do? And what are the things that, that we do sort of contextually in light of that? Okay, so we spent the first three weeks just kind of gathering an identity for, for who we are, right? That, that, we're the, that the church is the people of God that he had always intended to have, that he secured for himself through the perfect work of Jesus, Right? So uh, this people then, by the power of the Spirit, sort of commits to living together communally in order that they might together become more like Christ. Because Jesus has chosen to use His church as sort of the main apologetic for the veracity of His claims, which is that He was God Himself and that He changes people from darkness to light, from death to life. Right? So, so that's what we spent sort of three weeks doing. In the last couple of weeks, and really for the remainder of the series, what we're doing is trying to get a grasp on what is it that the church does. And so we talked about preaching the word, right? We talked about uh, being a church that makes disciples. We talked about being a church that together, collectively, is committed to one another's holiness, meaning that we grow to be more like Jesus, right? That there's sort of a, a common struggle, a common desire to make Jesus's name famous in all nations. And so today what we're doing is we're talking about this idea that the church should be a place that is led by qualified leadership. So um, let's just jump right into Acts. Let me let me just preface this really quickly. Um, n- number one, a, a lot of what I'm going to say today um, is sort of directed at me. And so that's, that's going to be difficult, right? We're going to talk about elders and deacons. And if you're not familiar with that term, elders, like I, I'm not that old, right? Although in this context, I might look like it. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's not about an age thing, but it, that word can sort of be exchanged for pastor or overseer or shepherd. There's kind of a, a variety of words that help give us a grasp of, of what that looks like. But just know that, look, I read this and I feel this way. And there's probably some things in here that you're going to say, yeah, man, like Marshall does those things and that's great. And then there's probably some things in here that you say, yeah, Marshall's okay at that, but it, it, there's, there could probably be some growth. Trust me. I'm well aware of that, and I'm asking for Jesus' grace, and I'm asking for your grace in that pursuit as we we endeavor to to see what it means to to be an elder and how an elder should sort of carry himself, lead the church um, in a way that is right and good and holy and godly. Um, So yeah, with that said, we're not going to spend a ton of time in Acts. Acts, this this particular um, portion of scripture that I've chosen really is to help get us started. And so let me just explain for you where you're at in the context of the Bible. The, the book of Acts is essentially a chronicle of the, the, the beginning of this movement that, that birthed the church. So again, this movement was not a movement of pretty buildings that people gathered in to sing, but it was a movement of people whose lives had been changed by the gospel of Jesus to such a degree that they committed to living this life of holiness together. Right? So that's that's what this is chronicling. It's chronicling the birth of the people of God, the church of Christ, bought to, brought together really by the union of the Spirit. And so what we find here is uh, a story really about a man named Paul um, who is really responsible for quite a lot of the New Testament in terms of its writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um, and what is happening here is they're, they're going through and they're doing exactly what what we're sort of trying to investigate, which is what, what, what does it look like to grow into or to become a church? Um, and so I think this text, what it's going to do for us is give us a very, a very logical sort of uh, progression of thought um, that really you'll, you'll probably see mirrored in what we've preached over the last few weeks. 
So uh, this is Paul. And just so you know, Paul, all right, Paul, uh, originally uh, hardcore Jew, like as, 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 as hardcore as you can be, trained, educated, well-known, well-esteemed in that community. And God, out of nowhere, says, just knocks him off his horse and says, you're coming with me. We're, we're going to do this whole Jesus thing now. And, and that's what happens. And so Jesus uh, changes Paul's life to such a degree that he... Um, comes from sort of a background of, of killing Christians and has now become a member of this family, of this body. And this is what happens. Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So here's this man who had killed Christians, who's now on the verge of death for being a Christian. And this is what happens. When the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So just pay attention real quick to the progression of these things. Because look, this is the exact order in which we have preached the last few weeks, right? What did, what did Paul and Barnabas do? They went into a city... They went into a place and they preached the gospel. Right? So they, they preached the word of God, the gospel of Jesus, the good news that those who were dead could be made alive through Jesus. And what happened? It says disciples were made. Like so that when we preach the word of God with our mouths and with our lives, that disciples are necessarily made because the gospel is God's power for salvation unto all who would believe so disciples are made, right? But then it's not sort of just this, okay, disciples were made. On to the next place. It's they came back, and then what did they do? They strengthened them, right? They said, no, look, they, they encouraged them. Grow to be more like Jesus. Grow in holiness. Be disciplined together. Hold one another accountable to this faith. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, right? So there's a there's a discipline there. Paul's coming back and saying, be be more like Jesus, not because you have to earn his favor, but because he's given it to you as a gift. And then what is the last thing that he does? He says this, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So here's the progression, right? We preach the word of God. Disciples are made. They're, they're called to live a life of holiness together. And then Paul and Barnabas say, you know what? This is not just some amorphous blob in which there's sort of no leader physically, although there is a leader, Jesus. But that there are men, there are women in the church who are going to lead men as elders, men and women as deacons. Right? He, he appoints that. He, so, so it's the necessary outflow of the church that as the church grows, that it would be led by qualified leaders. In particular here, he mentions elders, a group of men who would lead the church. Now there's a couple things that, that I would want to take out of this um, so that one, we can acknowledge that it's there. Um, and two, acknowledge that currently sojourn does not line up with this. Okay, at least, at least this particular expression. All right, so what does he say? He says, they appointed elders, so that's plural, right? So you're probably like, wait a minute, I don't know any other elders or pastors or anything like that at Sojourn Montrose. And that's true, that's the case right now. I am sort of the lone, the lone ranger. And yet, and yet, let me just reassure you, sort of before we go on to talk about these things, at Sojourn, we desire to be a place, we long to be a place in which there is a communal body of leadership. Because I am fully aware, just know this, okay, I am fully aware that I cannot do and be all things to all people. I am, I am well aware that I am gifted in some areas and absolutely pitiful in some areas. And so, and so we, we want the church to be cared for holistically. And so there's some ways that, that God has uniquely gifted me and has enabled me to do that. But there's, there's other men, some men that I believe are in this room right now, who have been gifted in other ways in which the church will benefit from in a completely different way. And so, so Paul doesn't say, you know, he appointed an elder in each church and it was sort of a, a dictator to uh, his people relationship, but that it was a community of leaders that cared for the church. And then what does it say? 
He appointed elders for them where? In every church. So look, there's no there's there, there's no sort of way for us to, to wiggle out of this. It's not like he appointed an elder in some churches and elders in other churches, but not all churches. No, it's he appointed elders in every church. So look, I you know, and, and look, if you come from another church background and it was maybe labeled a little bit differently, like that's okay, but, but what we're drawing from here is this, that the church is led by, again, a community, a community of men who have been appointed for the spiritual leadership of the church, and they look like a certain way, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So um, I know that was kind of a, a long introduction, but it's necessary for us to arrive first at the conclusion that elders are a necessity before we move into then what elders actually what they look like, what they do, and, and how they do those things. So there's three questions that we want to, to answer about, about elders. One, who are they, right? So, so how, how do we distinguish an elder, right? Because is it just one of those things where it's like, okay, the, the people that gave the most get to wear the elder badge, you know, or like, or did someone just sort of come to your house and, and knight you like with a sword and say, I dub the elder, or is it like an Oprah thing where it's just like, you're an elder, and you're an elder, and you're an elder? You know, like, how, how does that happen? How do we, how do we determine or, or distinguish who those people are, who are, who are elders? Um, the second thing we're going to talk about is um, what do they do? Like, what, what are they responsible for? What are the things that actually sort of tangibly fall underneath their care and leadership? And then the third thing that we want to uh, talk about is how, how do they do those things? Like, how do they carry out their role? What does it look like for them? So, uh, if you're taking notes, first first thing we're going to talk about is exactly that first question: Who are elders? And and we're going to focus on elders, but I do want to address deacons too because at Sojourn we have deacons, and so when we say that word, like I want you to know what I'm talking about, okay? But it, it will be a little less robust on that end, so just know that. But go ahead and turn to First Timothy chapter three, um, verse one, if you have a if you have a Bible. Um, would love for your eyes to actually make contact with Scripture so that you, you see I'm not sort of finagling and trying to wiggle or make things happen that shouldn't be happening with this text. But so 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, and, and here's, here's what's happening if you're not a Christian. Uh, this is a letter um, that, again, Paul is writing. So, so Paul, um, not a Christian, became a Christian um, and becomes, you know, really the, the, the leader of sort of this church movement underneath the authority and rule of Jesus. And he's writing to essentially a, a protege of his. Right? So this is his boy. This is his sort of young guy that he's like, look, I'm, I'm grooming you to, to do what I do. And these are the instructions that he's going to give to Timothy in terms of appointing elders. All right? So here, here they are. And we're just going to walk through this sort of at a snail's pace. We're going to kind of grab each and everything. We can talk about either one of these characteristics at length for a good season of time. So I'm going to try to spare you from that. Just keep it cool. Um, but here we go. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, stop right there. First thing that determines an elder. First thing that goes into or, or that qualifies someone to become it. They aspire to the office. So look at an elder in a church is someone who sort of first has looked around at this crazy group of people and said, you know what, I love these people to the degree that I'm willing to pour myself out on their behalf. I aspire to do those things. So an elder is not someone who you pick out and go, okay, you you give the most and you're pretty good looking, so you guys just kind of come this way and you have to sort of dangle the proverbial carrot in front of them to get them to do anything. No, the, the elder aspires to be an elder, to lead the church in godliness. What's it go on to say? He desires, uh, uh, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, so because of that, an overseer must be, one, above reproach, right? So he's someone who doesn't create tension or distrust among people both in the church and in his community with regards to the gospel or his character, Right? He's, he's, he's above reproach. What's, what's the next thing? Um, he's, he's the husband of one wife. Now here's where we, where we need to do a, a little bit uh, of digging here. Um, because the traditional sort of view on this is, is, okay, so that means that elders must be married. And yet, and yet that's, not, that's not what I would argue is the case. Because if you are using our Bible currently, or you have an ESV Bible, what you'll notice is that there's actually a little footnote next to that. So 
just general rule, guys, when there's a footnote, usually it's important, so read it. <laughs> um, but if you go down to that footnote, you'll see what it says, that sort of an alternate or, uh, or another option for the interpretation of that term, and it says, one woman man. One woman man, right? So, so look, he's not saying that you must be married to be an elder because at that moment, Paul, the man writing this, is single. So he just disqualified himself, if that is, if that is the case, right? And so, I, you know, if you are familiar with the Bible and you know about Paul, and he were to walk into this church and say, I would like to be considered for eldership, um, you wouldn't disqualify him based on not having a wife. Just trust me, all right? You wouldn't do that. And so it's not, it's not necessarily that, but what it is about is that this is a man who is faithful to whatever woman he has chosen to pursue, whether that's in engagement or whether that's in marriage. And if it's in singleness, then he is devoted or sort of given to that, right? Like Paul says, I, I'm, I'm single and it's good that I'm single because I can do more for, for Jesus. But So marriage and singlehood are both good, but neither are required for eldership. Right, so he's the husband of one wife or a one-woman man. What's next? He's sober-minded, right? So this is a, a man who is self-aware, who's able to sort of navigate with some clarity, right? He's, he's not sort of carried away by his passions, right? He's not, he's not sort of all over the place being ruled by one thing than the next. He's, he's sober-minded. He can, things can come to his desk that look that look difficult, that look, that look hard, that look sort of insurmountable, and he can look at that with, again, a sober mind and, and trust and rely on the name of Jesus and know that, that in that there is consistency and there is hard, firm ground to stand on. He's, he's sober-minded. What does he say next? Um, he's self-controlled, right? So it's not, it's, it's not a guy who explodes at sort of the, the touch of a button, right? Doesn't just like lose his mind at, at, at the smallest things. You can put him in a tense situation and he can carry himself with dignity. Even if it's maybe personally offensive or or, or just relationally strenuous. Right? He's, he's self-controlled. He's able to keep himself in check. He's not ruled by his emotions. Now now let me let me just sort of asterisk that because one of the one of the most I think detrimental things for the men in our culture is that we've been told we are not allowed to experience emotions. And that if we show emotion, we're not real men. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, there is a difference between experiencing emotion and being ruled by emotion. Right? To where your emotion drives you to do things that would be not sober-minded or not self-controlled. And so uh, the, the, the elder should be a man who wrestles with emotion, who experiences emotion, but who is not ruled by it to the degree that they would then forsake truth. Right? That our emotions should always be conformed to what is true. All right, so he's, he's self-controlled. What does it say next? He's, um, he's respectable, right? So people observe the way he lives and the way he carries himself, and they say that is worthy of respect. Like, we may not agree on all of our issues. We may, you, you may handle things a little bit differently than I do, but I can trust, and I, and I know, and I feel as though the way you conduct yourself in your life, both in the community and without the community, is, is worthy of respect. Right? What else does it go on to say? That he's hospitable, right? So this doesn't mean that he makes a good salad, right? What this, what this means is that he has availed himself for the sake of gospel ministry, right? So it's not, it's not even just opening your door and like letting people in. Okay, I'm hospitable. But, but it's, it's opening up your life. It's opening up your home. It's opening up your possessions. It's opening up, most importantly, your time for the sake of those who are lost and are hurting. Or for those within the church who are saints, brothers and sisters in Christ, who you've been called to encourage. So he's hospitable. What's the next one? It says he's, he must be able to teach, right? So he needs to be able to sort of have a, a good understanding of, of what the scriptures say, what they don't say, which is really important, especially today. And he, he should be able to communicate that. Now look, for, for every elder that we have, that doesn't mean that each one of them is sort of going to have to get up here and have an on-stage type of ministry, right? Like this is not the only method of teaching, but what we're what what Paul is talking about here is that this this man, this leader, this elder should be able to again 
be brought questions, be brought sort of um, uh, moments in the lives of the disciples that he leads where, where these things come forward and he's able, again, to sort of magnify to them the riches of the gospel, to be able to explain the gospel, how it, how it is applicable, how the scriptures testify to the person and work of Jesus. Like he, he should know how to do that, to lead people towards Jesus and away from himself, right? So less about giving good advice, more about giving good truth. Right? So he needs to be able to teach. Now he's going to give us a few things that this man should not be. So he goes on to say, not a drunkard. So that's pretty simple, right? Like drunks wouldn't make good elders. If I was up here just sloshed on a Sunday morning, it, it wouldn't work out very well, would it? Like it, it might be entertaining in some weird sense, but it wouldn't be good. It wouldn't be good in terms of the church growing in growth, growing in holiness, right? So not not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, right? So this is this is not some guy who sort of stands at the front and just tries to sort of beat people into submission, but it's someone who genuinely, truly loves people and gently yet even in difficulty, wants to press people towards the truth about Jesus because they know and they are confident that in Jesus there is all that this person needs for life and godliness. Right? So he's he's not violent, but he's gentle. He's not quarrelsome. Right? So, so an elder is not a guy who gets in a room and just for the sake of being contrarian sort of always takes the other side. Have you ever been around that person? Annoying. It's the worst. Right? It's like, you don't even know what you're arguing. Like, you don't even have a solid position to stand on. You're just arguing at this point because you want to argue. Right? Like, that guy's, that guy's not an elder. Because at that point, the church becomes crippled, can't do anything, because two guys are just always going at it with each other. It's obnoxious. Sorry, uh, got a little... <laughs> All right. Uh, he must not be a lover of money. Right? So so an elder is not a guy who is sort of so driven towards his own personal wealth that he gives really no care, no concern for, for the well-being of anyone else, right? Like it just doesn't work out that way. Like if you if you're sold out, if you're a lover of money, then you're not probably a lover of Jesus. And if you want to lead people to love Jesus, you should probably love Jesus. It's pretty simple. What else does it go on to say? He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So look, he needs to, he needs to be able to care for his family. Like when you see him around his, his wife, he should, he should treat and love her well, and with respect he should challenge her to love and know Jesus. When he's with his children, his children may not like him, they may not even believe all that he believes, but but what they should be able to do is say, you know what, um, I respect you as my father because you've shown me love. And even though it's a love maybe that I don't understand or don't comprehend in light of the gospel, doesn't mean that I can't then submit to your godly rule and leadership in the home. And, and, and why is that? Why is it that Paul says that? Because he says, look, if you can't manage your affairs at home, then you certainly shouldn't put your hands on the church's affairs, Right? Like, like, if you want to mess up your own little sphere, that's fine. But, but this thing needs to be led, again, towards holiness, towards Jesus, so that people might come to know Jesus through the witness of the church. So look, if you can't get it right at home, you're, you're not fit to lead in the church. And then what does it go on to say? It says he must not be a recent convert, right? So it, it's, it's not just like, okay, um, I love Jesus, so uh, elder me someone, you know? Like... It doesn't work that way. Why? And it's not it's it's not just to be exclusive or be like, oh, you gotta pay your dues, you know, or anything like that. But it is that we want to be able, the church should be able to have observed these qualities in you. And the fact of the matter is, is, is that if you came to Jesus yesterday, you're probably a little rough around the edges. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not, we're not trying to sort of get you to climb the moral ladder, but what we are saying is that the leaders in the church should be people who have experienced Jesus' grace and it has transformed them in such a way that it is visible to those whom they need. It's as simple as that. I don't think that's a, a weird requirement. And then he goes on to say this in verse 7, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. And honestly, I think that this right here sort of encapsulates every, everything that, that we've talked about. Right? If you're quarrelsome, if you're if you're a drunk, if you don't care for your wife, like you're probably not going to be well thought of by outsiders. 
um, unless you hang out with some really weird outsiders. <laughs> but but the, in this, again, most of these things come down to when people observe the elder's life, they are able to say with certainty, with good conscience, that is a man of God who is striving to follow Jesus, not perfectly, but with, with great dignity and with great seriousness in their pursuit of holiness. To the degree that people, even outside of the church, who are not Christians would say, look, I don't espouse what that man believes, but it makes sense to me that he's a leader in the church. Because I feel like from what I know, cursory or not, what I know about Jesus, I think that he espouses those values. And so even though we stand on opposite sides of the aisle, I can can affirm even from a distance that if there is a Jesus, if there is a God and he's done what he says he's done and if the church exists for what it's supposed to exist for, then that's the man that could and should be leading. Pretty simple. Um, So, uh, let's let's dive in real quick. I know I took a little time there, uh, but let's dive into deacons as well. I just want to touch on that a little bit. But so we we know now sort of how we distinguish an elder, right? Like these are the things that, that we're going to look for at Sojourn as we hope for, long for the day in which we have again a community of elders leading this church. All right, and then uh, this is what he says about deacons. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So, like I said, we're just going to kind of blitz this one real quick. So, um, deacons, uh, let me just address right off the bat. Look, some of you come from from church backgrounds in which um, in which sort of deacons were confused with elders, and and they kind of ran the church, and so it's it's a, a weird relationship there. And then, and then deacons are only supposed to be men, and yet what we're going to look at here, and what we're going to see is that, and, and what you'll see at Sojourn if you stick around, is that deacons are men and women who have been called out to to serve the church, right? That's really ultimately what they've been called to do. So just to clear up this idea of, of, of men and women deacons, um, check this out. In verse 11, it says, Their wives likewise must be dignified. But, again, footnotes. This is where footnotes come into play, right? If you look at the footnote, it should also say, um, it could alternately be, be sort of translated as, likewise, women must be dignified. Now, let's just do just a little bit of sort of, uh, of of uh, reasoning here. Let's use our logic. Let's use our skills here. Um, verse 8 says deacons must be dignified. Right? So let's just assume that, that he's only talking about men there. Well, then why in verse 11 would it say, likewise, women must be dignified? Like, no, you just said that. If it's, if it's only men that are being spoken to here, then, then he's just sort of saying the same thing two, three times in a row. Which, if, you, if you've read Paul, you know that he doesn't really parcel words. He doesn't take a lot of time to explain a whole lot of things. He gets to the point. Okay, so what, what we see here, what we believe here at Sojourn, is that deacons are, are women and men. The office of elder is the only role in the church that, that we believe is reserved for, for male leadership. And, and look, if, if you've got an issue with that, especially in our culture today, like just know look, I, it's, not, it's not an anti-women thing. It's just... It, that God, number one, has sort of ordained it that way, but that he's also, if we're honest, created men and women um, a bit differently. Not not one worth more than the other, right? They're equal in dignity, equal in worth, equally necessary for the good of the church. They just don't play one particular role. Okay, and so if you have if you have questions about that, if you have problems with that, please come and talk to me before you like rant on the internet about me, okay? Like that I'm a, a bigot misogynist or whatever you want to call me. Um, but let, let's just talk about that. Let's address those concerns with the Bible later. I can't dig into that too much today. Uh, maybe another time. But so, these deacons, these men and women that serve the church, right, they should be dignified. They, they should not be double-tongued. So that means they don't, they don't speak differently about the same situation to different people. Right? They're not, they're not double-tongued. They're not stirring up sort of that, that weird gossip pot that happens. They, they're, they're not addicted to much wine. They're not greedy for dishonest gain. So they're not trying to sort of obtain the title of deacon in order that they might gain standing within the church or influence. 
They hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They, they, they know and they believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did what he said he did, and that he secured them through the gospel for glorious good works, which he prepared in advance for them to do. This is, this is a deacon. So, elders lead the church. Deacons serve underneath the elders. Uh, and we're going to unpack that now. So we've talked about who are the deacons, who who are the elders, what, what sort of characteristics can we sort of put handles on in order to identify these people. Um, let's talk about what they actually do. And if you'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, um, we'll get a good look um, in that particular portion of Scripture. So uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're just going to grab the first three verses really quickly. And I promise you these next two points are not nearly as long as that first one. Um, Chapter 5, verse 1 says this, So, I exhort, uh, this is Peter writing to writing to uh, churches, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And here's, here's where we get into what elders do. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So, there's a, there's three things, really, that, that we're going to draw out of this. And like I said, we're going to be quick. So, there, there's three things that elders are responsible for in the church, and, and, that, and that we, particularly here at Sojourn, identify um, as these three things. The, the doctrine of the church, the discipline of the church, and, and the direction of the church. Right, so those, those are the three things that we sort of gather from this text, and you're like, wait a minute, that's not that's not really readily apparent, so let's just kind of talk through these, right? But so, um, in terms of doctrine, right, that, that we should um, not be domineering over those in our charge, but we should be examples to the flock, right? So, so the elder not only takes in and consumes and establishes good doctrine, but he lives good doctrine in order that those underneath his charge might follow in his example. Right? So he's responsible for maintaining right, good doctrine in his own life, but also for the sake of the church, right? So the, the doctrine of the church, the discipline, right? He goes on to say in here um, that we should shepherd the flock of God that is among us, exercising oversight, right? So he should oversee the, the, the people in his care, right? So that means that he, he disciplines them, not, not in the sense that he beats them, but in the sense that he leads, he guides them towards, towards holiness, and that, and that when there's moments, things that need to be settled, when, the, when, there's, when there's sort of awkward things that need to be navigated, that he steps in and he, again, leads in grace. Right? So the doctrine of the church, the discipline of the church, and then he says, what? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So the direction of the church, right? What, is it, what does a shepherd do? Does a shepherd just say, okay, all right, you guys go wherever and I'll just follow you. We'll see what happens. Like, no, because that, that would be a mess. Right? You'd have sheep just everywhere, and none of them would probably get to food, and half of them would, would die because they're stupid. You know? That's sheep. I'm not talking about you. Right? But, but what, what does a shepherd do? Right? The shepherd, again, he lovingly, he says, look, there's grass over there. That's where we're going to go because that's where you're going to get food. There's water over here, and we want you need water to live, so I'm going to give you water. I'm going to give you food. Just follow me, come with me, and, and then what happens when, when wolves come, he fights off the wolves, when when a sheep tries to, to leave and sort of take off, wanders off into the wilderness, what does he do? He, he pursues it, breaks its legs, and, and puts him on, I'm not going to do that to you, um, but put, puts him on his shoulders, carries him back to the flock. Right? So, so the shepherd knows where the flock is going, and he lovingly, again, guides, leads, Rods, if he needs to, right, to get to, to get them to their destination, which for us is Jesus. Right? So the, the doctrine of the church, the discipline of the church, the direction of the church, those are the things that, that elders are responsible for. And so um, what we believe, like when we talk about our our uh, like our, our bylaws or our statement of faith, things like that, like the elders are responsible for holding that, right? For staying true to those things, not compromising discipline of the church when issues come up among us. Let's work through those things together. And the direction of the church. Where are we going to go? Who are we going to reach? 
what is Jesus going to do in and through us? What do we hope Jesus will do in and through us? And let's ask him to do it. Right? That's what elders are responsible for. And then deacons. And deacons aren't explicitly in this text, so I'm just going to explain to you sort of where deacons were born from, right? Where they came um, into the picture. And so in Acts chapter 6, what happens is the apostles are preaching the word of God, and they they take their preaching and their studying and their preparation so seriously um, that they really can't or don't have the time or energy to take away from those things to do all of the other things that the church needs done. In this particular instance in Acts, it's cleaning up after people. Right, because that's that's what always happens, right? People come to the party and then they leave their stuff everywhere. You, you know that, right? And so and so, what do they do? They call up godly, good, honest men and women, and they say, "Look, you're you're going to serve the church. You're going to serve the church." And and oftentimes, honestly, it's in it's in the things which are sort of most thankless in, in terms of tax, least observed. These, like, there's no lights on deacons, you know. There, there's no, they don't get a microphone for an hour to sort of like, like yell at people or anything, right? Like they're in the background. They're they're taking care of what needs to be taken care of in order again that the church might flourish. They're helping. They're coming alongside those shepherds and they're saying, yeah, let's get this thing where we need to go. Um, and so the the elders, while they are responsible for the doctrine, discipline, and direction of the church, the deacons are responsible really for. Um, service of the church and mercy within the church. Right? So so service of the church and mercy within the church. And so uh, what I mean by mercy is that they help the elders lead the church in compassion for the needy, both inside the church and outside the church. Right? So here at Sojourn, this is how that plays out. Our deacons are all leaders of neighborhood parishes. Right? Which we call little families, essentially within the church. They, they lead those. And so what they do is they lead those people to show mercy, not only to one another as a community of faith, a smaller family within this larger family that we call Sojourn, but they lead them to care for other people outside of the body of Christ too. To show mercy, to show compassion, to show love, to show care, to pursue people into loving relationship with the church, but ultimately with Jesus. Right, And then they serve the church. So what I mean by that is they help the elders by serving the members of the church very tangibly. Right? So these, these parish leaders, like um, they get the glorious task of opening up their home every week. Which if you've ever had like any amount of guests in your home, you know like how frustrating sometimes that can be, right? Because when you leave the neighborhood parish gathering and you go home to your clean house, they've got the stack of dishes, right? And it's their trash that's overflowing and it's their food that's all over the place. Right? But they, they humbly, lovingly, oftentimes, thanklessly serve the church in this way in order that we can provide a space that is conducive for, again, growth and holiness. That we might follow Jesus more and more day after day. Right? What else do I mean by, by service? They help the elders by serving also just like the logistical needs of the church. So look, when you walked in here this morning, there was a Bible neatly tucked underneath your seat. And those don't just magically appear there. Like, and the reason that they're there is because we have a deacon who has coordinated all of our volunteer team. The reason that this microphone is working right now is because a deacon coordinated a, a team of people that would sit back there and push buttons for us. Right? These are, these, these are the things that deacons do. They serve the church day in, day out. And so here's, let me just take a quick moment. If you are a deacon in the room, I see one for sure. Um, there were a few in, in the last couple of gatherings. Look, let me just say thank you. Because just so that we're aware, Sojourn would not be what Sojourn is today, and Sojourn will not be what it's supposed to be tomorrow, apart from the service of deacons. It just won't, it just won't happen. Because there's only so much that, that I can do, right? And there's only so like that's just how God has ordained it to be. Like, right? We're supposed to be a body. A body means there are different parts that do different things for different seasons in order that different things might be accomplished. Right? So I just want to just want to thank you guys, um, deacons in the room. Love you very much. Grateful for what you've given to Sojourn, um, and look forward to what the Lord will do in and through your ministry um, in the days to come. All right. With that said, we know what we know what they do. Um, we, we know sort of who they are. Um, now, how are they supposed to do this? In, in what manner do they carry out this task that they've been given? Um, and it's from the same text: Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, 
right? So, so an elder is not a guy who wakes up on Sunday morning and is like, dang it, i got to go to church. And he's not a guy that wakes up on Sunday morning and is like, oh man, like, I have to preach again. This is like the 50th time this year. A deacon is not, is not the person who gets a phone call at midnight because one of the members is in the hospital and says, dang it. He doesn't do that. He's not under compulsion. He's not, he's, not under, he's not under sort of this weight to live up to your expectations as a membership. More, more than that, he is driven by the miraculous love of Jesus for him that then inspires him to love others in a way that is like Jesus. Right? So he's not, he's not under compulsion. But he does believe that God has given him not only um, the love that he needs, but also the strength that he needs to do the things that God has called him to do. Doesn't serve under compulsion. So again, this is not the guy that you're dragging, you know, by by a leash. Kind of. What else does it say? As God would have you not for shameful gain, but eager. Right. So again, if, if I'm up here because like I get some weird, great vibe about how awesome I am when I just see a bunch of people listening to me talk, there's a problem with that. Right. Or if it's if it's and you don't. Listen, this one you don't really have to worry about as much because we're in a church plant and the paycheck's not that big. But but you know, if I was if I was doing this just for the paycheck, like man, you know, I get paid well to do these things, so I'm just gonna kind of maintain this sort of superficial spirituality and lead it, you know, in sort of this outward way, but never allow anyone to sort of come in and evaluate and look at my life. Like that's not that's not the way we're called to lead. We're not called to lead for shameful gain or, or even in order to for someone like me who's kind of a like feeds off the approval of other people like you know if I start to find my hope in this and if that's the gain that I receive from being an elder then there's something miserably horribly wrong because we've been called as elders to to lead eagerly and then what does it say not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock so again an elder is not someone who speaks softly and carries a big stick because if you get out of line, I'm going to beat you with it. It's, it, it really is someone who is going to sort of humbly lay themselves out, lay themselves bare for the sake of the church. He's going to love and care for them. He's going to restore people with gentleness. He's going to bring people back into the fold. He's going to love, care, and serve for all of the people that fall underneath his charge. So what it really all comes down to, if you could wrap all of those three little things, three sort of determining factors up into the one thing, it would just be humility. Look, it's as simple as that. Right? And I think I think uh, Peter's going to tell us so um, shortly here. Verse 5, it says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So he kicks the young guys a little bit and says, you guys make sure you're subject to the elders. But then he says this, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So here's the thing. If if you are an elder and you have the submission of a membership to your charge, again, it's not it's not put a, put a big star on your coat and sort of wield that as, as if you're the best thing since sliced bread. But like receive that humbly. Receive that with, with like hopefully a little bit of weight because I'm going to read a verse from Hebrews right now that should scare the pants off just about anyone. But, but carry that mantle with humility, right? And it's the, the same thing goes for the members, right? So if, you, if you've been called into to become a member of a church, which we'll talk about later, uh, another sermon, if you've been called to be a member and, and, and you've been called to submit to the elders, like, do so with humility. Don't be that guy that's always just a pain. You know, well, what about this? And what about this? Like, it's okay to ask questions. Those are good. But, but like, don't be that guy. Submit with humility. Look, it, it may very well be there are people more talented, more gifted to lead this church right now, and yet God has ordained it to be, at least for this season, for this time in this space, that I would be the leader for no other reason than that. And so look, let's just carry that with humility. If you're a deacon, serve with humility. That's that's really what it all comes down to. If we're we're all sort of humbly seeking the good of another, then elders are going to lead well, deacons are going to serve well, and members are going to grow well. Those are the things that, that will happen. Because that's what happens when, when we are a healthy and well-led church. So, um, we're, we're going to conclude right now. And I'm just going to give you, you're probably like, okay, so we've talked sort of theory about all this stuff and how it works and how it plays out and 
how it happens at Sojourn, but let me give you some tangibles in terms of things that you can actually like do with, with this text beyond just sort of understand. Um, I want to read uh, a verse from Hebrews 13. Um, and uh, it, this will sort of, sort of be the impetus for, for what I'm going to ask you to do. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Okay, so just stop, just stop right there. So look, when, when, when Marshall appears in glory before the throne of grace, in the name of Jesus, in the grace of Jesus, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, I don't just get to answer for sort of all the things that went wrong in my life. Like, these were my issues, this is, this is kind of where I sinned, check this out, all right, Forgive me for that. Ask you for this, but that, but that I'll actually be giving an account not just for myself, but for the people that God has called me to lead. So that means you, you, and you, and you, and you. If you're, like if you're a member of Sojourn Montrose, like that's the exchange that has happened there. Like you said, okay, I'm going to submit myself to the leadership of this church, and the leadership of this church says to you, like we promise to try to lead you well, as best we know how, by the grace of Jesus through the power of the Spirit, because. Look, I want to know who I'm responsible for. And then he goes on to say this. Let them do this with joy. Not with running. So again, he comes back and look, I don't get to sort of just look at me. I'm such a martyr. You know, like, like pity me. Feel bad for me. Feel sorry for me because I bear this mantle of leadership that is so exorbitantly higher than anything you could understand. That's not what I'm saying. Right? It says, let them do this with joy. Let them do it not with groaning because that wouldn't be of any advantage to you. Then it says this, verse 18, and I think this is my honest plea, um, not just for me as, as the lone elder currently, but for future elders and for deacons and all the people that get to play a leadership role in this church. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Right? And so here's here's the tangible, here's the take-home. You want something to do, you're like, you're one of those guys, type A, you're just like, let me check the box, dang it. Like, tell me what to do. Pray, pray for your elders. Look, pray, pray for me. Look, I'm, I'm going to be selfish here and tell you, like, I need you to pray for me. Like, I need you to go to the Lord on my behalf and say, you know what, Marshall's kind of, kind of dumb sometimes. So, could you lead him? Like, could you guide him? Could you reveal more of your grace to him? Could you, could you show him where this church needs to go? Could you help him understand doctrine? Could you help him navigate discipline with wisdom and with grace? Could you help him do these things? Because if it's up to him, we're dead in the water. It's not going to happen. And so, so pray for pray for your deacons, pray for your neighborhood parish leaders. Like, look, those those are people who are expending themselves on your behalf. Ask for God to give them strength. Ask for God to give them wisdom. Ask for God if you need it in your heart. Like, ask for God for humility to serve underneath them. Pray for those things. But don't just pray for it for those who are currently elders and deacons. That by God's grace will grow, that by God's grace will, will, will have varying needs in the future, both in terms of pastoral work and, and deacon work. Right? So pray that God would bring these people. Or, better yet, pray that you might actually begin to aspire for those things. Because look, I believe that there are men in this room who, who have every, you know every potential to be an elder, but just don't haven't been told that they can do it. Because look, this is not some mythical role, again, where I just sort of stand outside all things and kind of govern govern this entity that is Sojourn Montrose. No, all of the commands, all of the commands that were given, all of this sort of understanding about who an elder could and should be. Like, if you really look at them, what is it? It's just being an obedient Christian, isn't it? Like, don't get drunk. Okay, that's, most Christians should do that. You know, all Christians should do that. You know, treat, treat your wife well. Treat your husband well. Okay, most Christians should do Like, all Christians should do that. Not just most, but all of them. So, and so, look, it's not necessarily, again, it's not a hierarchy. It's, it's do you aspire to love and care for the church well? And are you going to commit yourself to do so? It's as simple as that. And so pray for pray that men in this church would grow up to become elders, that we would actually, like, put away our, our childish ways and we would aspire to something greater, which is something eternal, which is something that the Lord has instituted himself by the grace of Jesus and continues through the power of the Spirit. Like, commit yourself to that. And I think there's men and women in here who would make awesome deacons, but for whatever reason just feel like maybe I'm, I'm ill-equipped or and, and whatever. Like, we can work on those things. 
let's pray for God to, to change our hearts. Because I, I think, honestly, my desire is this. That, that Sojourn would be a church in which there are tons of elder qualified men, but not tons of elders. Necessarily. Unless we need them. Right? So if there's one difference between an elder and just a regular member at Sojourn, what I would want that to be is that the, the member just didn't aspire. He qualifies, hits every single button, he just doesn't aspire. That's okay. God doesn't call every man to be an elder. He doesn't call every man or woman to be a deacon. But they live their lives in such a way that if called upon, there would be no obstruction biblically to their leadership. Pray for those things. And you yourselves aspire to lead, aspire to care for the church in whatever way that God has called you to do so.